Dark Fringe Radio, your premier source for the paranormal, conspiracy theory, and true crime. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. Conspiracy theorists of the world unite. He is refining his methods. He is evolving. There have been other times when a danger upon the world required the services of singular individuals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition and episode of Dark Fringe Radio. I am your host, Will Martinez, and of course, my uh, co-host, as always, Mr. Jay Colosi. Jay, how are you doing tonight, brother? Man, bleeding fantastic, bro. I don't know Man, why ble- I suddenly went bleeding. I was going to say... Yeah, fucking, bleeding's not such I, a good thing. I know. it's like I get that <laughs> sound. So I, <laughs> Unless you're a vampire, uh, then you're, you know, it's I'm all good. good but, I'm yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Well, listen, tonight, uh, uh, episode 103, and um, tonight I had a very good uh, interview with an author uh, and a journalist by the name of Ashley Rinsberg. He wrote a book called The Gray Lady Winked, and it's a tell-all about how the New York Times, of course, one of the most influential, uh, you know, newspapers of all time, basically, um, has uh, falsified a lot of information and put a lot of... uh, propaganda out there um and it's it's actually Bill, it's, it's <laughs> always been a propaganda machine yeah no, that yeah was i mean that's really a, subtle that's, i knew that shit back in the 80s before my woke self came out bro and it actually goes before that it even goes in the 40s yeah, and back. the 30s and i mean it really it, it, that's what we talk about how long ago it, it actually goes back and you know how many um you know countries were affected by these uh falsified yeah. reports um there was yeah. presidents killed there was war Crazy. started you name it, it happened. Um, so uh, Ashley really put it together in this book called The Gray Lady Wink. It's the G-R-A-Y. So thegraylady.wink.com. Make sure you go there, check out the book. Get a copy for yourself. It's really good. A lot of people are really talking about it. I mean, it really exposes, Jay, the truth about you know what we deal with on a daily basis when it comes to uh, mainstream media. You know, every day we're bombarded with mainstream media. Uh, not like today because Facebook was absolutely closed down for the day. <laughs> <laughs> and people so were funny. fucking losing their goddamn mind. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jay included. He's poking me, guys. That's yeah, it, well, That was a shot at me. No, no, no. But no, me. seriously, everybody was freaking out. There's even memes no talking about it right now. There's a no meme with uh, Zuckerberg, and he's like, I got you scared, yeah. didn't I? <laughs> yeah, scared, didn't I? As soon as I saw so, it, I went, yes, you did. Yes, you did, yes, sir. Right. No, it, yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's a really interesting during this time now where, you know, we're bombarded with so much media, Jay, you know, what of the social yeah. media, you know, TV, yeah, TV, print, um, radio, not so much radio anymore. I mean, a lot of people actually, you know, have gone away from the FM radio source and really have gone into more what we do, was, which is podcast. I was thinking about that just today, William. I was, so I work, I, I drive around a lot for my job, people. Uh, so I'm always in my car and today on my way home from my last class, I had left my cell phone in my in one of the bins, so I had to listen to the radio. <laughs> you were forced. Wait, when was the last time you listened to FM radio? It's been a minute. Um, I listen to it every once in a while when I'm with my son in the car, 
And um, every once in a while, he'll go through the channels because he likes going through all the channels. But 97.9 is the only thing that is remotely like everything else. <laughs> it sounds bargain basement. It sounds like AM used to sound. It, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It, I was quite taken back. I was like, I can see these people in these tiny little sheds now. And they're like, 1035 is their call sign. That's their frequency. And it's not 1035. She like was when we grew up. Like it was powerhouse, man. Had all the heavy right. metal. Now right. it's it's some little church lady just talking about how nice that is that Easter's <laughs> gonna be coming here soon or just a or, few or months you got that one lady Christ. Or you got that yeah. one lady with a real soft spoken voice, the one who's uh, always dedicating songs to other lovers on the air. <laughs> Sonny Quinn, Sonny Quinn. What it, she was, she was a professor of mine. She one of my instructors for uh, my broadcasting degree. Sonny uh, Quinn, uh, yeah. Who oddly enough is married to the drummer for a Grand Funk Railroad. Really? That's like six foot seven. Jeez, Louise. But I listen, I mean. Of course, that lady always comes to mind when you, when you talk about FM, you know, radio. You know, Sunny Quinn, I mean? man. Sunny Quinn no on more... Sunny Water 4.3. She was just, or there was Delilah, the overnight. That That's was the one, one I'm that... talking about, Delilah, Delilah, that one. Yeah, that no, bitch. No, <laughs> no, if you're out there and you don't know Delilah, read you a book. Oh, Lord. Yeah, no, no. I mean, but there's no more radio personalities anymore. None. Think about it. I mean, None. who was the last radio radio personality? Like the big I mean, one. down here, it's it's down to Kevin in Virginia, and that's it. That's it's it. I mean, show. who was before they've been that? been on since we were in high school. Stern? Stern. When he was still down here? When he was still broadcasting out of Miami? I mean, he's still a name, He's but he's so far the other angle. Yeah. I mean, he's... right. And yeah, he's not even on radio. He's on satellite. He's radio, on so SFM. Not, not the same thing. Yeah, it's totally honestly. different. Right. It's totally Absolutely. Different. Agreed. Well, anyway, so I don't know how we got on that tangent, but that's basically what we're uh, talking about tonight here, Jay, with our interview with Ashley Rinsberg. So make sure uh, you stick around and check that out. I just want to do some uh, housekeeping, excuse me, housekeeping uh, for tonight. Just want to remind like, everybody. How you house weeding? Yeah. House just weeding. said house weeding. Woo! Ooh, some Freudian slip there. Uh, housekeeping. <laughs> Now we got on that other topic. Housekeeping. Are you doing Our the pot? <laughs> Are you doing the pot again, Will? Um, anyways, <laughs> that's like something like our moms would say, our dads. Are you doing the pot again? Are you doing the um, pot? Are you doing the pot? Anyways, um, but how you can listen to the podcast, very uh, important. You can go right to our website, darkfringeradio.com. Make sure you go ahead and check it out. And uh, go straight there. You can also see all the stuff that we post on social media, social media, excuse me. And also um, we have all these things that we're posting on a daily basis as far as stories um, and, you know, news that is coming out, new movies, TV, video games. I mean, we're constantly putting stuff up there. So make sure you check it out. Darkfringeradio.com. And also any of the investigations that we've done in the past, you can go there as well and check out all the audio that we've actually posted. I've posted all the stuff on there, Jay, all the audios on there. So it's really cool. So everybody can just so, go right there and just, you know, uh, you know, soak it up. So make sure you go that. there, darkfringeradio.com and uh, check it out. And of course we are on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at dark fringe radio. And don't forget our YouTube channel. Say again, as long as they're up. Yeah, as long as they're up, exactly. Um, and also, want to remind everybody our YouTube page uh, at Dark Fringe Radio. That's getting a lot of steam as of late. So make sure you go on there, subscribe. Uh, that really helps us out. And uh, make sure you like all our videos. We come out with it on a, every other week basis. Uh, that's what we're pretty much doing right now. But uh, we're going to be doing some live stuff here in the future. Um, month of October is going to be really hot for us, Jay. 
Yeah. And we're going to try to do some live watch alongs on Fridays uh, for the month of October. So we got that planned for you guys. And of course, still coming out with podcasts on a weekly basis. So don't, uh, you know, don't go anywhere. We have a lot of stuff coming up here in the month of October. So um, that's it for the intro, Jay. Wanted to get into one, one One. piece of uh, news that I thought was kind of cool that I I thought we should talk about. But did you hear this that came out on September 27th, Jay? So not that long ago, last week. Sammy Hagar claims that he was abducted by aliens and later met more extraterrestrials. Did you hear about this one? I did. Yeah. So, of course, uh, you may know him as the Red Rocker. He was, you know, the lead singer of Montrose. Drive 55. (laughs) That in the blow. (laughs) That and his blood alcohol level probably had a lot to do with it, too. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That Cabo Wabo. Tequila that he fucking promotes, which is great tequila. Actually, it's not good that tequila. bad. I've actually it's had it before. Stuff. It's actually yeah. pretty damn good. That's good stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, he talked about an experience that he had, Jay. And um, he says that it 100% happened. He said it happened about four o'clock in the morning, pitch black, dead sleep. And he said he was felt like he was like being programmed, like somebody was tapping into his mind. Um, like it was a string from his head, like 13 miles up a mountain. You know what I mean? It just like, that's what he felt. Um, and (laughs) you know, right where he was, where he was, you know, at, at that moment, he said that he saw an object that was like right out like the distance from his house and, um, that there was two people in it. There were two creatures. And, um, he said he was about 19 years old. This happened about 1964, 65 ish. So, you know, he was obviously fairly young at that time. Yeah. Um, but you know, he was really candid about this experience, Jay, um and um he said that he could um feel like them talking to each other yeah. telepathically and they knew like w- the moment that he was waking up because they were like oh he's waking up and he could kind of overhear this conversation uh telepathically and so <laughs> it's a really interesting story i want to um you know uh please uh, you know tell our guests to and and, and people that are watching this podcast Go to our website, darkfringeradio.com, and the story is there. It's a really interesting story, uh, Jay. I mean, do you think this was a, a legit, uh, you know, uh, kind of thing, or was it just a product of the mid '60s? I, I mean, can't, I-, I can't call Van Hagar a liar. <laughs> I can't do it. So it's actually one hundred percent real. There you 100%. go. There you go. You're not going to call out Hagar, right? <laughs> Would never think to do it. So yeah. No, no well, listen. Van, if Van Hagar says he was brought up to the to the stars and talk to some green people then i'm with him hey I'm man 100 yeah and you know he also revealed that it wasn't his only encounter he said he had another one where he right. was hanging out at lake placid um and you know he was in a you know log cabin didn't have any electricity it was like the early 80s 81 82 and all of a sudden these guys were in the cabin <laughs> but i didn't even like coming in through the door they all of a sudden just appeared there? there yeah it was really freaky yeah. he said that uh, he had a I like hard that. time with that that one encounter yeah. because they were there all of a sudden there was no doors yeah. open no windows open and all of a sudden you see these beings in your your house um so it's a it's a pretty you know uh nerve-wracking kind of situation but yeah i mean pretty interesting thing from sammy hagar i mean obviously he's not uh, known to be much of a like uh a psychedelic dude or like he's not, I don't he's think not he's known like, to be one to really be out there talking like, right he's like he's one of the more quiet dudes He's right. out to have a good time. The only thing you ever hear is about him partying, trying to be cool with all of Van Halen, you know, right. no matter yeah. what, yeah. and and drinking tequila. I mean, uh, that's really all you ever hear from him. And 
Right. So I mean, not, say that and kind of out of the blue like that. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, it is pretty interesting. So, um, yeah, again, I just wanted to point that news article out to you there, Jay, because I thought that was pretty cool. You know, one of our um, obviously, uh, you know, rock idols from that time, uh, you know, coming out and saying that he had a pretty Amazing. substantial experience. It's not only once, but more than once, you know, with these with these beans. So I thought that was a pretty good story. But, Jay, of course, that leads us to. What the F Florida man. And if, for those that don't know, and are that time vegan, again, right? yeah, yeah, of course it is. And for the uninitiated, uh, the ones that don't know Jay, uh, what the F Florida man is a segment that Jay does. And he scours the internet for hours and looks for stories that come out of this crazy state of South Florida, uh, which is pretty not hard to find, <laughs> but all the shit that's going on here. So Jay, what do you have for us this week for what the F Florida man? Florida man. A Florida man. A Florida man. A Florida man. Now to the town of Sefner, Florida, near Tampa, where last night the earth opened up as it does increasingly, and this time it swallowed a 37-year-old man as he slept in his home. A man accused of destroying a liquor store in Okaloosa County told police he was in Alice in Wonderland. Matthew Horace Jones also said a caterpillar smoking a hookah told him to do it. A man calls 911 while Collier County Sheriff's deputies are chasing him, and he says... Donald Trump, our president, is his personal friend, a close one at that. A Lickworth man is uh, not too happy. He's accused of getting violent when waiters at a restaurant told him they weren't giving away free pizza. Covering Florida this morning, a Key West man is behind bars. Investigators say he was caught with a large amount of cocaine hidden in this Cookie Monster doll. Holy shit, man. Yeah, you say scour. You say <laughs> scour. I'm skim. You skim. Oh, yeah, it doesn't take much, yeah. right? Nah. <laughs> uh, second, this would be the second thing I saw today. Oh, wow. Okay, I went with the second one. That's Holy how shit, deep I, I dove That's into it. Uh, Florida Man. The yeah. second one. Let's hear it. Davy, Florida. Okay. A man was mauled by a captive bl- black leopard. Oh, wow. That is not a backyard zoo. Wow. Let's hear this, Jay. I want to hear this. Give us some deets. Man pays $150 for the full contact experience. Oh, he got that. <laughs> and not in a good way either. I mean, not the like Craigslist kind of. <laughs> no. 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 Tiger King kind of. Yeah, way. yeah, yeah. Some Carol Baskin action. <laughs> Serious Carol Baskin. So. WPLG reported the man paid $150 for the full contact experience with the Black Leopard, which allowed him to play with it and take pictures. Wow. Those are going to be some great memories, kids. Kodak moments. Kodak moments. Here's the point where Grandpa got his thorax ripped out of his neck. (laughs) No? No. (sighs) I just, I mean, so the, the owner runs, obviously, an unlicensed animal sanctuary uh, for rare and endangered animals. Jeez. Um, the man was attacked as soon as he entered the, the enclosure. The injuries were so severe that his scalp was hanging from his head. People, wow. if, if you are only paying $150 to go meet a black leopard and it's in someone's backyard, y'all's getting ripped off and then you're yeah. getting ripped up. Listen, I bet I, people, oh. th- tigers and lions are wild. Oh, my. <laughs> They're wild. And I don't care how much somebody trains them. They can go off. Kill. Have you ever touched a house cat, Jay? One of your own house cats, and all of a sudden yeah. just fucks up your arm for no goddamn reason. 
Uh, scars to prove. Scars, yeah. right? Scars. Yes, you are a cat person. Yeah. You've had cats all your life. I remember all, all the cats life. in your house. They would fuck you up if you fucking pet all them the wrong the way, or if they didn't want you to be pet at that point, that moment. You know what I mean? Uh, now, that's listen, a small house cat. I have on my <laughs> hand. I don't know if you guys can see those right there. It was right before Hurricane Andrew, and I was holding my cat, trying to get her inside, and I accidentally stepped on some on. Right. I had this cat at this point for oh about five years, so the cat knew me well, and it right. bit through my hand, <laughs> all the way through. <laughs> Holy shit! The punctured the hand all the way, both sides, and then the cat ran up my chest and used my back as a springboard. Nice. Uh, so the marks, the the actual. Claw they marks. were lacerations. It was awful. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that was so it was a little 10 pound black cat. Right. Uh, Imagine a 110 pound leopard tiger or whatever the fuck. <laughs> One swipe. Leopard. Yeah. Leopard. And that that animal's two to three hundred pounds. Oh, gosh, man. Anyways. I remember I've been if you ever, have you ever done those like tiger experiences? Not like I did one of those like that. I did. I did one at the Bush Gardens. No. And as soon as they opened the gate to let us in, there was one. It was a Siberian, some kind of Siberian uh, bangle, right? Bangle white tiger. White gorgeous. And it just made this sound. It wasn't a growl. They called it a chalk. It was just like this kind of little like. And the hair on the back of my neck was up because. I didn't need to speak the language to know what that animal was telling me. That animal oh. was telling me if there wasn't that fence there, I'd be a snap. Yeah. Uh, and at that moment, I started looking at who I had to outrun. Wow. Yeah, man. That's a really harrowing experience, man. I don't have the balls to do something like that. Um, I, I find tigers to be very majestic animals. I love, Absolutely. I love tigers. I mean, I think they're probably one of the top of my three animals for me. Um yeah. But I, I respect the shit out of them. I don't even have the balls to do something like that, what you did there, Jay. I mean, honestly, I just, because I've seen enough videos. <laughs> I've seen enough videos oh, on YouTube. I was seen... just looking. I yeah. was looking at the at the, the Safari woman. I'm like, I know yeah. I could trip you up just enough. Right? <laughs> but you fall you first. Work, <laughs> you work with these cats. They, yeah. they, they, they deserve one for you. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy because, um, you know, we see a lot of these um, clandestine, um, you know, things like this where people have these wild exotic animals and, you know, they'll pay or, you know, they'll, they'll charge people to come in so they can have this experience with these animals. And it's just obviously um, it never ends in a good. It never ends well. It never ends well. I mean, even in the uh, Tiger King series, I mean, that was one of the biggest crux of that whole series was, you know, this guy, you know, running an un- uh, licensed, uh, unregulated, you know, zoo. And, um, you know, it was a big, you know, type of zoo. Imagine a bunch of these smaller ones, you know what I mean? That may have just one or two tigers, you know what I mean? So again, you know, people, please don't encourage any of that kind of shit, please stay away from it. Uh, you know, you want to see tigers, look them up on YouTube. There's no reason. Uh, or you know what, if you have enough money, go on one of those safari things in Africa, where you're like in those are caged where, you know, in a fucking truck in the back, you can let the you know, the tigers jump on the cage and shit while you're inside of it. Do that. Go crazy. But don't do this other shit where, you know, you're going to pay some, you know, crazy ass uh, redneck dude that has a fucking leopard in his backyard, 150 bucks. So you can have the, you know, ultimate experience with a cat. That's just crazy. Don't well, do stupid shit like so that. So, I don't know. He did not. I give the, I will give the guy this. He didn't <laughs> mismarket it. 
No. There was no miswording. He he got the full contact experience. <laughs> he did. He certainly did. I, I mean, again, I don't think that's what he was looking for at the end of the day, but he got more than what he bargained for, and that's what happened. So um, a good lesson to be learned there, Jay. Thanks again for that uh, story for What the F Florida, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to get into um, our interview here with Ashley Rinsberg. Of course, you can check out his book, The Gray Lady Winked. Uh, that's G-R-A-Y. So that's the graylady.winked.com. And you can go right to that website and uh, check out the book. I highly recommend it. And we're going to get into our interview here with Ashley Rinsberg from the Gray Lady Winked. My name is James Piles. I'm an author. I have, I've written the short story, The Recall, and you can find my work at www.poweredbyrobots.com. And I'll be interviewed at darkfringeradio.com. All right, Dark Fridge Radio listeners, uh, thank you for joining us in another edition. And uh, tonight we have a very special guest. Um, his name is Ashley Rinsberg, and he's a novelist, essayist, and a freelance journalist. Um, he's the author of The Gray Lady Winked. And uh, it's a great uh, a, a work uh, piece that he put together of nonfiction that um, it talks about one of the world's most powerful media outlet and um, how they alter basically history and the edits that they have uh, done in um, you know their publications uh, for their own agenda, basically. And uh, Rinsberg is also an author of the Tel Aviv Stories, which is a collection of short fiction uh, stories that uh, shines a light on the underclass of the famous Levantine city. And in 2010, uh, Rinsberg he also traveled to Nicaragua to investigate the disappearance of his death of his uh, best friend in an experience uh, that inspired his forthcoming novel, He Falls Alone. So, uh, welcome. Um, Mr. Ashley Rinsberg to Dark Fringe Radio. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And listen, thank you so much. And listen, this book uh, that you've come out with, um, it's really uh, a kind of like a very um, a tell-all when it comes to talking about one of uh, the world's, like we said in the, in the intro, uh, the world's biggest media outlet and how influential they are. And, um, you know, what, what motivated you to write this book? Well, you know, I think like a lot of people out there, you sort of get the sense that not everything is what it seems. Mm -hmm. You know, you read the news and I think a lot of us grew up sort of trusting it. We came from, uh, you know, a generation of people who did trust it and Mm -hmm. the generation before that one even more so. But you started sort of get a sense that it's just not what the reality doesn't match the, the picture that's being painted. And I always sort of had that sense, even though I, I did have some, you know, some trust in the media, but it was when I was reading a book of history by a great journalist named William Shirer, who was in Europe in World War, during World War II reporting from the ground. Mm-hmm. And in this book of history, he wrote sort of in a footnote that on the eve of World War II, the New York Times printed that um, Poland invaded Germany. And Germany was just sort of retaliating when it sent its army in. Which and is completely untrue. <laughs> yeah, it was like, you know, the tires screeching to a hall. You're like, what? Right. <laughs> uh, that's where I was like, what, you know, is that possible? Could the New York Times, this, the gray lady, as everybody calls it, because it's reporting, it's like down the middle, um, really dry, just kind of like facts only. It's very gray. It's not very flashy. Could that newspaper we all know, and I think, you know, some people, some among us, including myself at the time, loved, have printed something so wrong? 
And especially, this was 1939. This was not like the Nazis just appeared on the scene right. yesterday. They've right. been around for a decade. That people would watch them commit horrendous, horrendous and heinous acts of uh, persecution of, of Jews, of all sorts of people. Um, and they still sort of could believe what, what indeed was actually Nazi propaganda, that the right. ploy was created by high-ranking Nazis to fool world media into thinking that Polish uh, guerrillas had invaded an, a German radio station, a place called Gliwitz, and killed a bunch of Germans, and that the Germans were just fed up with the belligerence of the Polish and were just sending in the, sending in the troops. And when it was published in the West's most influential news outlet, the New York Times, that was like the crowning achievement of this propaganda blitz that right. kicked off World War II. Right. So, and you know, it's even more disturbing that no, nobody really talks about this. Like no one yeah. knows about it. No one really goes into it. And that just got me really wanting to learn more about yeah. this episode. And then once I dug into this, the background of what happened there, who were the players, what went down, um, I wanted to understand, did this happen in other cases of similar historical importance and significance. And it turns out it did. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's what your book uh, basically, uh, you know, goes over um, all these different instances um, throughout American history where, um, you know, the news was reported or purported one way and that, you know, how the times have, you know, just really, um, you know, we were talking about World War II and, um, you know, one of the points that um, was made, I, I believe, in your book was that one of the correspondents from uh, Berlin for the New York Times was a, a Nazi supporter. Is that correct? Yeah, and that's sort of what ties all, all these pieces together regarding the New York Times' reporting on Nazi Germany, which was right. very favorable. It was so favorable that the Nazis were actually reading New York Times articles on their radio broadcasts to their own people because they, they really cast them in a good light. Um, that was like, you know, is it just one example, the Berlin Olympics of 1936, the Nazi Olympics, which the rest of the world and most American media recognized as another propaganda ploy to make the Nazis look good, to sort of sanitize their image were described by the New York Times as the greatest sporting event of all time. I mean, what a crazy statement to make. Yeah, that is. When you're watching like Nazis goose-stepping down the streets of Berlin and Jewish athletes being excluded from the games because they were Jewish and because they were being persecuted in all walks of German life and Hitler refusing to shake the hand of Jesse Owens because he was black, black right. and on and on and on and on and on. And it's just like, this wasn't like, this wasn't 1736. This was 1936. Yeah. That's the, you know, the, that's the part that most people forget that it really wasn't that long ago. Like no, we it, think it of was. 1936 and we're thinking that's like centuries ago. And it's not, it's, it's less than a hundred years ago. And, you know, I think people forget that a lot of times, you know, they, they, you know, they see things throughout history and they really kind of put it in the back of their head and don't realize how soon, you know, how much we've actually, you know, advanced, obviously, um, you know, as a society, but, you know, how soon that happened, it wasn't that long ago. Um, and the thing with World War II was, uh, one of the biggest things, I mean, it, it seemed like it continued from World War II onto all other wars like the Vietnam Wars as well. Another one of the points that um, 
was made, I believe, in the book was, you know, how uh, there was a um, basically the New York Times put two correspondents and one on each side of <laughs> of, a, of an issue regarding the, uh, you know, the Vietnam crisis and reported this whole thing. Something happened and it really didn't happen, which sparked a whole overthrow of the Vietnam uh, government. Yeah, the the two there were two reporters um, like sequentially. So the one the first reporter was a very famous reporter and sort of really highly regarded in the world of journalism. His name was name was David Halberstam, and he was young. He was a graduate of Harvard. He was a very arrogant guy, and he really didn't like what he saw in Vietnam. Lots of people didn't, of course. Right. But his job was to report the news, to gather the facts, and sort of give them to the people, let them decide. But that's not the approach he adopted. He wanted to make a change. He wanted to prove to the world that the South Vietnamese government, which was America's partner in fighting the North Vietnamese communists, was corrupt and abusive. And he would go to any and all lengths to show it. And part of that was, as one representative example, he really was sort of developing this narrative that the South Vietnamese government was cracking down um, on Buddhist monks in Vietnam and and abusing them and violating their human rights and killing them. Mm -hmm. And that was a pretty big claim to make when you're saying America is partnering with a government that is murdering Buddhist monks. And he reported a major story about, I think it was 37, it was either 33 or 37, I can't, it was, in the 30s, Buddhist monks mm-hmm. who were supposedly killed by the South Vietnamese government. And this, of course, made international headlines. I mean, it's a huge story. When the UN came to investigate the massacre, they found all 30 whatever of those monks alive. Not one of them was dead. <laughs> that was never record- reported uh, by the Times. That was never right. corrected. They didn't go back and make a big hoopla about their misreporting. But over time, these types of stories began to paint a picture of a brutal South Vietnamese government that could not be trusted, that could not be relied upon. And there were forces within the American government that wanted to overthrow the South Vietnamese government and install a new government in its place. And with this backing of, of the New York Times building these narratives, they eventually succeeded. And it was, it was partially backed by the CIA. It resulted in the assassination of the president of South Vietnam. And when John F. Kennedy learned about this, he wept. He cried. He, according to Robert McNamara, his secretary of defense, he was more upset than, than McNamara had ever seen him. And that was for two reasons. One, GM, who was the president of South Vietnam, was a fellow Catholic. But more importantly, Kennedy knew that in order for American troops to withdraw from Vietnam, which he wanted to do in yes. by mid-1960s, he needed mm-hmm. a stable partner. And when GM was murdered and the government was overthrown, he lost that partner. And America was in that war for 10 more years as a result. So you see this meddling by these reporters who took it on themselves to sort of kind of put their fingers into history rather than just to kind of gather up the facts, um, it had disastrous consequences. And that's, that's the theme we see again and again and again, that the, the newspaper's interests got in the way of the truth. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, uh, one thing that I noticed that was really interesting and that really opened my eyes up to um, a lot of 
what is written in these publications is when these reporters, and this is what, you know, when you explained how um, this one particular um, uh, reporter, David Halfstrom, he kind of took a left turn and, um, you know, he started citing anonymous sources. And that was kind of a thing that was uh, really unheard of that time, but then started to kind of catch on. And it was because obviously uh, th- if you had no source, really, then you were able to really kind of push that propaganda or that, that narrative. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, Del- Halberstam, um, the, one of the big issues in his reporting was that he actually relied on um, a source that turned out to be a Vietnamese spy, a North right. Vietnamese spy. Right. He, was feeding, he was feeding him disinformation. And Halberstam published it. And, you know, these were great scoops because when you're getting that kind of access and it's corroborated, you know, it's quote unquote corroborated, um, you're getting good scoops, you get good placement, your stories get placed on the front page and it builds your profile. And the New York Times is very happy because they look like they're really getting the the goods. But it turns out that he was being used as a tool. By the, by the North Vietnamese government through this source who was a spy. And even when it came out, was revealed that the, one of his major sources was a spy, um, he never really recanted or apologized for the damage that was done. And he even continued to back up his own reporting and said, well, the reporting was still accurate and true where you know that's no longer the case. Like when you're being fed misinformation, disinformation by a spy, you know, you can't rely on that. But that was really part and parcel to the kind of work that he was doing there and his colleague, Neil Sheehan, um, which again, was really more for them about create painting a picture first of, that they wanted to see, but then sort of cobbling together the pieces to make it seem as if that were the reality, when it really necessarily wasn't the reality. It was just kind of what they wanted to show the world. And they did whatever it took to show the world that picture, including printing sourcing from the spot. You know, what's interesting, um, Ashley, is that, um, you know, we hear about this situation, right? We, you know, you outlined this whole situation in your book, um, the, the gray lady winked. Um, the thing is, is that it seems like this type of journalism is starting to become more prevalent now more than ever. Um, as the, the years have come by, I mean, the, the terminology fake news um, is something that has been, um, you know, at a fever pitch within the last five years. Um, what's your whole take on that? I mean, is, is it going to get any better or is it going to get worse? Um, I think it's going to do both. And I think the okay. way it's going to happen is that and what we're seeing happen is that media, the news media is increasingly in the hands of a very small number of very big companies. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at who owns ABC News and NBC and CBS, these are gigantic companies like Comcast, Viacom, Disney. um, You know, we're we're really talking about- yeah. Yeah, we're talking about billion dollar conglomerates. And they have serious business interests that they will not allow to be superseded by certain things, including the truth. In many cases, it's not always the case, but it is increasingly the case. And what you have is this sort of like co- coagulated mass, this blob of big business cooperating with the news media, cooperating mm-hmm. with government, cooperating with foreign governments, as it were. And that's a very disturbing trend because 
you know, we've already, we've always wanted in a democracy, especially in an American democracy, a free media, meaning free from domestic government interference. They could like right. say what they want, do what they want, and the government's not going to crack down. But what they lost was that a media has to be free and independent of outside influence, whether that's money or power or what have you. And we've lost sight of that second value, independence. Um, but we are seeing an independent media rising on platforms like yours, on social media, on right. blog, on podcasts, on uh, Substack, where you have great journalists like uh, Barry Weiss or Andrew Sullivan or Glenn Greenwald, who were previously at really big and influential media companies going out on their own, taking the tools that they had acquired working in those places and using them in, in ways that are very independent because there's no one pulling the strings. They don't have to answer to a boss who has a boss, who has a boss, who has a boss. They can just do the reporting and do the work. And that's an incredibly great trend. That is, I think that is so positive. And I mm -hmm. think it's also really a paradigm shift in what the news media is and how it functions. And, you know, we're, we're seeing it sort of like what crypto people would call a hard fork. Like there's yeah. a they're diverging. They're going in two completely different directions. And I right. think it, the independent media is the one that will be the longer fork, uh, the longer um, tooth of the fork. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, we'll see. I, I totally agree. Um, you start to see, uh, you know, influential people having such um, a big following on podcasts and blogs and such of things. I mean, for instance, yeah. like, you know, let's just say the one of the biggest one, Joe Rogan out there. I mean, yeah. The, the amount of followers and influence one man has, I mean, he's completely independent from any kind of, you know, political or, you know, uh, uh, you know, source as far as being, you know, part of a newspaper or anything like that. But then you got a newspaper like the New York Times, who is owned by one family. And that's kind of the issue at hand when you have something so influential that is um, only um, regulated by just a few people. Um, what do you think is the is is the independent media is that what's going to be the, the the balance of all that you think is is that what's going to balance all that out and eventually hopefully overtake that 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 helm i i mean i think so i think it's looking i think it's looking like that because okay. people just don't trust the media the news media anymore i mean we're seeing that it's at all time lows mm -hmm. um and that's you know that's a good thing in a way because we're sort of weaning ourselves off of corporate media but it's also a bad thing because you do want reliable sources of information. You do want people who are really being diligent and trying their best to bring you the truth. And we want to be able to trust those sources and know who they are and, and have a sort of common sense of what is real and what is not real that we share as a society. And I think that's, you know, that's where we need to find a middle ground, something that parses the best of both. But I think really what we are seeing is that social media and independent media are providing the counterweight to corporate media. And I think that right. that is really the, the encouraging trend. Yeah, agreed. Agreed 100%. Um, you know, it seems like this uh, trend with um, the printed media is starting to take the trend of um, television media as far as um, news is concerned, where it's not so much a... Um, uh, you know, factual, but more subjective uh, type of, you know, um, outlet. And do you think it's 
what is happening right now is this new, the news, the 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 printed media trying to catch up with the the the, the video, um, you know, uh, at how they present the news at this point. Yeah, I think you know it's a good question because it it talks about like what has the changing formats done to the nature of the news, and I think right. what it is is that yeah, that what what's happened is the internet really broke the economic model of the news industry, which is that you had subscribers and you had advertising and between the two of them, they could do really well. So subscription, I mean, sorry, advertising would be print ads, but it was also the classified ads in newspapers and in some magazines. Craigslist destroyed classified ads. There was no longer a need for that. So that part of their revenue was gone. Um, the internet's advertising model also killed advertising for them. They're now left with just subscription as their revenue model, which means that you're sort of pandering to a base of 2% of, of your total readership who actually pay you. And right. what that does is polarize your content because you know you got to keep those people happy. There's only 2% of them. 98% could have this general consensus about common good and shared values and shared narratives. But the 2% over there, which might be really much more extreme and probably are because they're willing to part with their money for this stuff, yeah. they want what they want. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that with the New York Times. The New York Times knows that it's generally kind of older, classical, liberal uh, audience base, it's subscription base is sort of, literally dying out and that in places it's a more progressive hard left um woke audience mm -hmm. that is wanting that kind of content and the times is delivering on it so yeah. the new york times and other media have really taken social media to task for all the algorithms that are polarizing content that are like delivering content that's very extreme in order to drive clicks but the news media has done the exact same thing, certainly for the last decade and probably for much longer. So it's kind of this like interesting dynamic that's emerging where clickbait has really infected even the most prestigious legacy media brands like the New York Times. They, they write stuff that is very clickbaity. They mm -hmm. need those page views. And more importantly, they really need those subscribers to sign up to get that juicy content, those like really like get it under your skin type <laughs> stories that makes everyone <laughs> really pissed. Yeah, so, of course. But that's not necessarily good for uh, for a, a healthy and thriving democracy. No, of course not. Of course not. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw this um, thing that happened. I think it was last year, if I'm not mistaken, actually. But there was a news correspondent from ABC. And um, it was either he or she uh, said something uh, on a hot mic, basically saying, oh, uh, it was talking about um, Prince Andrew and saying, oh, you know, Prince Andrew, the, you know, this, this and that. But we, we're, I'm not allowed to say that right now. So we'll just go ahead and skip over this. Um, uh, do you remember that incident? It sounds familiar, but it's, it sounds very much in keeping with what goes on. Yeah. In the media. Yeah. It's so crazy that even other governments have influence on the, the the media even over here um you wouldn't think that it would that would be the case but it really does i mean i'm sure there's like you know political issues between you know countries where hey listen you know we got an issue over here you know can you help us out don't kind of put this out in the media you know talk to you know the the family of the times you know it, it's so easy to do that i mean yeah. don't you think that's what's happening in, in these cases as well i think there's i think that definitely happens um, yeah. a lot. And I also think that, you know, there, there's the influence of money and of yeah. um, 
you know, whatever outlet that was, they want to get the interview with the Royal down the line. They don't want to get blackballed by, by the palace. They're going to carry water, whatever they need to do to make sure that they get that access. And, um, the, you know, that's okay. And for them, I mean, I think it's wrong, obviously, but, um, I, f- I forget whether who exactly it was, but it was either Eric Weinstein or his brother, Brett Weinstein, mm-hmm. um, talking a lot about the Jeffrey Epstein case right. and asking why is there no media investigation ongoing? Mm-hmm. It happened. He quote unquote got committed suicide. I don't think anyone really believes that, but then, yeah. the, then we never heard another peep. Right. from the media you, mm-hmm. you got to ask yourself wait a second this is an incredibly juicy great compelling story why is there not someone just like dedicated to reporting on this for like the next five years till we find because it got shut down that got shut down Somebody yeah and let me, shut it down let me tell you something actually i live in west palm beach and that's where it all happened and let right. me tell you right. we didn't hear anything about it nothing it was happening in our backyard and we heard nothing about it yeah. Um, even, I mean, it's, it, it's, it was so crazy that we didn't hear about it, but we also like, I knew people that were involved in the case, but it, there was no media coverage of it. I was like, why is this not in the media? Why is this not in print? Why is this not on the, the television? Nobody spoke about it. They started to talk about it after when, after he was captured and all everything, you know, uh, was done. I mean, that's when they kind of started to cover it. But beforehand, when he was doing all that stuff and here in Palm Beach County, I mean, nothing was said about it. And again, that's what you're talking about. The suppression um, is, is powerful in itself. And, um, you know, it's funny because we did a, a podcast about five or six podcasts ago. And we talked about World War II and we talked about spy gadgets and things that they used that, you know, was uh you know, very ahead of its time during that time, you know, they were using typewriters that were in, you know, like these uh, luggage carriers, you know, really cool things, right, for that time. But the most effective thing was propaganda, 100%. Propaganda was 100% effective 100% of the time. And um, that's what we're dealing with here on a daily basis. I mean, do you think that, um, I mean, for for instance, like 9-11, do you think that was a, a, an art of propaganda? Because again, we, we talk about 9-11. We, we talk about how it was reported that, uh, you know, we were looking for weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. That was the reported story. Uh, people forget that the before, uh, you know, the, the 9-11 attack, uh, you know, Donald Rumsfeld said there was like $3 trillion missing from the, <laughs> from our, uh, you know, I guess our, 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 our treasury. Um, all these things that just kind of happened in, in a, in a, in a, you know, in a swirl all of a sudden, do you think that's one of the, you know, more recent uh, examples as well uh, of what's going on here? I mean, I certainly think that, you know, by now it's clear the media advanced the notion, sold the notion to the public that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. They did it hand in hand with the Bush administration, which was pushing the same idea. And what was the mechanism that got them to do it? Was it pressure from the administration? Was it carrots and sticks? Was it something else? Was it group think, which was a term that emerged from that whole episode? Was it just people (laughs) being really stupid? I don't know. Um, I do know that in the New York Times' case, money and the desire to stay number one played a big role because they, at the time, had just 
brought on a, a new editor in chief or executive editor, it's, as it's called at the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And this guy wanted to boost what he called the paper's competitive metabolism. He wanted to be competitive. He wanted to compete. He wanted to win. He wanted to stay number one. And that meant getting the biggest scoops of the day. And there was no bigger scoop in that period than WMDs in Iraq. Nothing bigger that you could get. And they did everything they needed to do to get it, even though it wasn't actually true. And they violated their own standards, their own policies. It didn't matter. They just kind of kind of shoved it all aside to get this reporting that was false. Um, they, they pushed it hard. And that's another part of, of, of how the media operates is that they work hand in hand um, among different formats, different news companies. There are a lot of synergies, a lot of companies that are owned by the same parent company. So you have someone reporting something in a newspaper. The parent company also owns a TV show. The reporter goes on the TV show. That person then goes on the radio owned by the same company. And then what you have is this huge megaphone effect where these people should be checking one another. They should be kind of challenging them, but rather they're, what they're doing is amplifying the error. So right. whatever the cause was, and I don't, know, I don't know exactly what it was. I mean, you know, I go into it in the, in the book. But we know the outcome. And the outcome was a disaster. It was a huge foreign policy disaster. And we're still feeling the effects of it to this day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Ashley, listen, I mean, this uh, this book, I, I think it's a great eye opener for people um, to really, uh, you know, delve into what our you know, our media consists of and uh, what we're uh, constantly bombarded with, too. Uh, That's another thing, you know, whether you're online or you're watching television, um, you're constantly hit with it. And um, I think it's a good thing for people to kind of open their eyes and see what uh, what is possible. And, uh, you know, how, you know, I think more now than ever as a person that consumes news or uh, or any kind of information, either online or wherever the case may be, it's like you have to be your own fact checker, too. That's a whole other thing too. It's like, like if if you see a story on on ABC News or something like say, or, or the New York Times, let's just say, it's just like you can kind of take it with a grain of salt nowadays. It's not like before, like where they just stated the truth and that was it. Now you have to be like your own fact checker, right? Yeah, and you know what? I I don't think we could ever really take it at face value and just right. accept it. I think I think people did because it was just that that they had no other option. Right. Today we have the options. We've got the tools. We've got mm-hmm. the media. Like if you want to, if you're listening to something about uh, lab leak or China or COVID therapies, and the media is telling you the same thing across the board, then you can go on to Joe Rogan, who's bringing on top people in their fields, top scientists, top mm-hmm. doctors, top whoever they are, and he'll talk to them for two hours, and you'll get the whole picture from that individual. So. I do think you're right. I think you're right that we all need to go out and be our own kind of citizen journalist on the stories that matter to us individually. Right. Exactly. Don't try to get that smorgasbord of, of media garbage that we see every day published in, in yahoo.com or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that, you know, 10,000 miles away, there was a riot, even though it's like, it makes <laughs> for great clickbait. It's really juicy, but right. Take two issues, take three issues that are important to you, investigate, find the people who are doing the good work, corroborate the sources, fact check what you're hearing, and you will be a more informed, 
more well-rounded and I think a sort of spiritually and psychologically, psychologically richer person for that. Very well said. I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, listen, uh, even now that I've become more aware to a lot of this stuff and, you know, a lot of people that I, um, you know, uh, converse with that are in the circles that we deal with, um, we, I like, for instance, like, even if I see a story online, I won't even click on it because I know that it's something that if I click on, I'm just adding fuel to the fire. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm not going to click on that story because I can see for it from face value from what it is. And I'm like, okay, let me do my own research. Let me figure this out on my own, but I'm not going to click that link because that link right there is just going to add more, more bravado to whatever it is that they're trying to push out there. Yeah, that's right. I think you, I think a lot of it is about kind of quietly avoiding 99% of that stuff because you don't really need it. It's serving someone else. It's serving people who own the sites that you're clicking on and it doesn't serve you and doesn't serve your community and and your family. And those, you know, if we start thinking about that and thinking about um, the local journalism, again, truly local journalism, which is not about, you know, some crazy homicide that happened across town. It's about what's going on in your community around you. And you should know, and you should be out there talking about it. And even if it seems trivial, like, you know, there's no parking in my neighborhood or there's whatever's going on, like be interested in it and talk about it online and find the facts. And like, I think it engenders something very healthy, which is that shared version of reality that we can all debate and come to some sort of agreement on. I think that that is a great thing. And yeah, I think that that is definitely the way forward for most of us. Hey, listen, I think uh, um, that's a great way to end this, but um, it's the greyladywink.com. That's where they can find the book, correct, Ashley? Yeah, the Grey Lady Winked, which is gray with an A, not an E. And mm-hmm. uh, or you can Google it. It'll pop up. And um, from there, it'll it'll tell you all about the book. It'll tell you where to get it. And um, yeah, that's it. Wonderful. And so um, one last thing I wanted to ask you, Ashley, um, your upcoming book uh, regarding your best friend. Um, could you give me a little bit of, of, uh, of a snapshot about what that's about? Yeah, sure. My best friend, um, sort of a, a guy who I grew up with, went to college with. And after college, we sort of roomed together and were working on some stuff together. And he uh, took a trip to Nicaragua and, and disappeared on an island and wow. took close to a month for the search teams to find his remains. Um, I went there to try to find some answers, to try to understand what happened. I spent three months in the country, um, or a little bit more actually, and and I really was trying to find what went on in this insane story of this college graduate who had no business being in this incredibly treacherous forest on an island that is also a volcano. Um, And from that, I sort of kind of was inspired to tell, to tell a story that was sort of based in my experience searching for answers. Mm -hmm. Um, And that became a novel that uh, is called He Falls Alone. Yeah, that's wonderful. Listen, I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, that sounds Thank like really you. something, yeah, really inspiring and really interesting. I mean, uh, that's just a tragic story. And I'm sorry that you lost your best friend um, in that circumstance. And um, I probably would have done the same thing. Um, you know, yeah. uh, my, my co-host of the podcast, we've been friends for 30 years. So, um, wow. you know, when you're, yeah, when you're friends. I love that. 
yeah, when you're friends with somebody, you know, you really kind of want to find out, you know, especially when they, um, you know, uh, tragically pass away in a circumstance like that. So listen, um, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on Dark Fringe Radio. Again, you can find the book, The Gray Lady Wink. That's the G-R-A-Y, thegrayladywink.com. Um, you can pick up the book there. I highly suggest you guys check it out. It's a great way. Uh, it's a great introspective look of our media and how the New York Times has really uh, changed a lot of things to uh, push a narrative. But I really, really appreciate you, Ashley, for coming on Dark Fridge Radio. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mel. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ashley Rinsberg, uh, again, the author, and he is the journalist uh, for uh, The Great Lady Winked. And of course, you can pick up a book again at thegreatladywinked.com. Uh, so go right to that website. You can check out the book there. Highly recommend it. Uh, highly entertaining uh, interview that I had with Ashley. Really eye-opening. And um, I encourage everybody to you know pick up the book and do some more research. I mean, there's a lot of this out there. Um, you know, we talk about the New York Times being you know one of the prolific you know newspapers in the in the world and here in the United States, of course. But there's a, still about another half a dozen newspapers out there that haven't even you know been talked about that are just as wow. influential as well. Um, you know, even from BBC, you know, all that stuff. So um, again, check it out. The Gray Lady Wink. That's G-R-A-Y, thegraylady.wink.com. Check out Ashley Rinsberg's book and we highly recommend it. So um, Jay, again, uh, that's it for tonight. I uh, just want to remind everybody how you can listen to podcasts. Go to our website, darkfringeradio.com. Go there directly and uh, pick up everything that you need as far as Dark Fringe Radio is concerned. And uh, I think that's about it for tonight, Jay. You have anything else for the outro? That's it, my guy. You wrapped it up in a nice little bow. Nice. Awesome. So listen, guys, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Dark Fringe Radio. Again, please be on the lookout for some uh, cool shit that we're going to be doing this month uh, regarding uh, watch along some live events. So please uh, be on the lookout on our social media at Dark Fringe Radio, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So make sure you check that out. Keep up to date. Uh, again, thank you, Jay, so much for coming on uh, this week for another episode of Dark Fringe Radio. And uh, we'll see you guys again next week.